Greetings and salutations. You are listening to the Into the North podcast, where we take a look at the competitive side of the Commander format, also known as CDH. I am one of your hosts, Reed, aka Sick Robot, and today I am joined by my co-hosts, Matt, aka Null. Yo, yo. And Morgan, aka Spleenface. How's it going? Uh, so in this episode, uh, we are going to be going over, um, how to, uh, play against, uh, your deck's natural counter, or, uh, uh, pods that might be, uh, traditionally difficult for your deck to play in, um, and we'll sort of, like, get more into that, um, when we actually get to the topic, I swear it's interesting, um, but before that, we have a couple of things to talk about, um, has anybody else been up to anything interesting since last podcast? Matt, I, how... I feel like it's been a bit. <laughs> yeah, um, I actually have the same kind of update, which is I've just been playing Elden Ring. Well, I'm mm. trying trying to find time to play Elden Ring. I'm like basically done the game now, and yeah, I don't know. It's been a good time. Nice. Uh, Morgan? <laughs> uh, I, I have very, just recently started down a very dangerous rabbit hole uh, in that I finally got around to installing and trying out Hearts of Iron 4. Oh god, no. Uh, <laughs> no, not more Milsims. <laughs> but I, I think, I think I'm just not gonna mod it. I'm gonna, like, <laughs> that's the line I'm drawing, you know? That's very responsible of you. It is definitely a line that you're going to cross at some point within the next year or so. <laughs> so I'm not holding out hope, but I appreciate the attempt. <laughs> um, as for myself, I've been, dude, I've been playing, like, a lot of Melee recently. Um, I actually started to go to, uh, local tournaments, uh, which is pretty fun, and sort of, like, reconnecting with the local scene, actually. I have a couple, like, high school friends that play, uh, that play Melee in the local scene, so, you know, I've been going out and hanging out with people. It's, it's good. It's a good, like, lead-in to, like, having a social life outside of the pandemic again. <laughs> that makes any sense. Nice, yeah. Which is, like, probably, like, very late at this point, but yeah, it's <laughs> nice to <laughs> nice to just, like, have a weekly hangout that I can go to, uh, to just, like, hang out and play a game. It's never too should, late. You know, we should probably, like, get back to doing CDH nights <laughs> in Toronto probably, at some point. Yeah. But, yeah, that know. drastically increases that my motivation. Keep to actually play (laughs) (laughs) all right um so without further ado we're going to hop into uh new developments um so first up on new developments uh we do have uh okay i'm not going to say it's like i mean it's it's, the the news is a little bit sad we can we can acknowledge that i'm not gonna i i i I was going to like not lead into it saying it's sad because like that sets people up to like think it's like i mean it is it is pretty sad but it's not like it's not like world all right Uh, i think we've colored enough here yeah Yeah. so 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 linden is uh is taking a step back from the podcast for now um you're not never gonna see him again and he's still gonna be in gameplay videos but just between you know, being busy and a bit of burnout, uh, he is taking a break for the foreseeable future. Yeah. Um, so everybody be super supportive of London. Um, I honestly, it's a absolute wonder that nobody has quit the podcast so far. Um, so this break is much deserved. Uh, and remember to give him the space that he needs. Yeah. And also, I mean, that being said, I'm I'm sure he's still online if you want to message him as a friend. But yeah. In regards to content, um, yeah, hiatus. Yep. 
cool. Uh, and then aside from that, uh, we will again remind everybody that uh, myself and Morgan are going to be at Okotoberfest in Philadelphia on the weekend of the 18th? Mm-hmm. Uh, 19th, 18th, 19th, 20th. Yeah. Yes. Finally got a date, right? Holy moly. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, if you're going to be at Okotoberfest, uh, again, come hang out. Uh, we're more than happy to jam games uh, after tournament rounds, before tournament rounds on the Friday, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Uh, I think it's going to be a good time. There are like a, there are, There's like a bunch of people going, huh? Like I, I don't think I've actually, uh, I don't think I've talked to before. I saw, um, who did I see, uh, going? I I thought I saw. I think Modernon's going, which is great because I have never actually uh, hung out with them, uh, IRL. I've done streams and such, but you know. Yeah, it's definitely gonna be cool to uh, meet some more, some more people. Uh, the the circle of the circle of CEDH friends grows ever larger. Yes, honestly much appreciated because it's dude it's still insane to like think about how rapidly cdh is growing because it's just like not something that is ever at the forefront of my mind then whatever i'm reminded about it it's like oh right yeah there's like thousands and thousands of people streaming into the format every day (laughs) maybe not every day maybe like every week or whatever but you know tons of people anyway um so, with that out of the way, we're going to get into our main topic for this episode, uh, which we've labeled here, Countering the Counter, i.e. Um, basically, we're going to be looking at, like, play patterns around uh, how you should go about approaching uh, playing against either a pod or a specific deck in a pod um, that is, like, a quote-unquote counter to your deck, or gives your deck a hard time, or has, maybe, maybe there are, like, some play patterns in the deck that are, like, disruptive to you and make your life harder, uh, than you would necessarily want, and, like, sort of, you know, how you can go about, uh, recognizing those, how you can go about, like, solving those without even necessarily making changes to your deck, and then maybe, um, like, making changes to your deck as well, but I think that might be a bit outside of the scope of this episode. Um, so we have a couple of uh, a couple of subtopics here that we're going to break this down into, and the first of those is uh, ways that your deck can be countered, <laughs> which is uh, probably a pr- pretty good place to start. Um, the first thing on, on the uh, w- the first way that I think uh, your you can have like a deck counter your own um, is pretty obvious, which is uh, opposing commanders. Um, which you know we've always we've all sat down at a pod and been like at one point or another in our lives and been like wow this sucks uh i don't even have to see what cards people are playing and i know that i'm not gonna have a good time here yeah Yeah, so i guess the the the... sorry go ahead i was gonna say i feel like a pretty like obvious one that we've all experienced is um playing a dork deck and then you see like basically like a jessica or a cast or something in the command zone and you're just immediately like yep there's gonna be some wraths. <laughs> yeah. There's also what what's the new guy, the uh pings one on one? Uh is it that was a really bad oh, way of describing uh, it. Gearson oh, Stars. Yeah, Gearson yeah, yeah, the guy Gerson who Gellimorph. The guy who shocks <laughs> everything you ping. Yeah. Yeah. That's yeah, you're you're if you're playing if you're playing a bunch of X twos and X ones in your deck, you're probably gonna have a bad time sending across from that one. Um But yeah. Uh, uh yeah, go for it, Martin. Well, uh, no, I was just gonna say, like, it might not even seem, even if you're playing X1s, you're thinking, like, oh, well, it does three damage, but <laughs> that deck is just full of ways of pinging things. Yeah, yeah exactly. So, still, still a bad time. <laughs> still, still not great. Um, 
So there are like there are a few ways that we identified and we can probably I I I'm sure uh I'm going to remember like another category as we walk through this. Uh but there are like a few ways that can happen. Obviously, again, uh like disruptive commanders like Jessica. Um there's also like this basically covers anything that like very targetedly hates on uh decks. So like this is like Jessica versus Dork decks, uh Anafenza versus Graveyard decks. Um <laughs> there's like really I don't like I'm I'm blanking, but I'm sure there are a couple of other like basically explicit hate commanders out there that I'm uh, not thinking about. I guess like Thalia. I mean, if three of them, yeah, Thalia, <laughs> or like if people are playing Elishnorn or stuff like yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, generally, I guess with the, with the exception of Jessica, who has partner, um, you don't see a lot of the like really obnoxious hard counter commanders like this because they're just too narrow. Like and you're well, playing... they're, they're low color too for the most part, right? Um, yeah. Like aside yeah. from specifically Anafenza, you're getting like a lot of the time they're going to be like mono white or mono green commanders, and like those are not great if the thing in the command zone is just a hate piece that doesn't necessarily even hit everything in the pod. I oh, guess, man, but... dude, when I'm like playing my blue deck and I go against my like Lanawar Cephalid Empress, you know, opponent, holy <laughs> shit! <laughs> oh my god. Um... <laughs> Uh, no, actually, the probably the most common one, which finally has died as a deck, more or less, uh, is uh, Lavinia was like, uh, yes. that one yeah, could uh, be yeah, rough can... for a yeah, lot yeah, of decks yeah. to try and play against. I, uh, I have played against Lavinia more than once on Cole, which is, again, famously a deck with like 10 kobolds in it, unironic kobolds, <laughs> zero mana, zero ones. Um, and yeah, that, that deck sucks to play against when you play Cole, because you just like can't cast 10% of your deck. <laughs> And then plus more rocks, you know? No, no, you can cast it, it'll just get down. <laughs> oh, right, sorry, because, again, mixed up Lavinia, because that card has two different templates on both of its abilities, because of reasons. <laughs> uh, anyway. Um, so, yeah, I mean, so Disruptive is, like, probably what your mind would go to if, in terms of, like, uh, like, you know, thinking about, like, how how can a, another deck like hard counter my deck? Uh, it makes a lot of sense if like the hard quote unquote hard counter is just like sitting in the command zone ready to come down at any time. Um, but really, like it gets uh, even more like it, it it gets like it it spreads out a bit further from there in terms of like uh, commanders that are sort of locked into a single strategy just by virtue of the commanders that they are, um, which also like you know sort of dictates what you're going to lose to uh or what you're going to hard counter um so it's stuff like you know hyper proactive decks like rog silas rog cody rog timna um did i just say rog cody you did you might have yeah My, uh, yeah <laughs> brain or mouth out running Go, brain going runner. for some every commander has partner rog yeah exactly every, Dude. every legal Dude. partner combination <laughs> i'm gonna fucking rog cody in uh every in omni in omni partner is like actually nuts for the record i i think that deck is like not okay <laughs> just like get to do like everything um anyway uh but yeah so stuff like hyper proactive decks um are just by virtue of existing and being hyperproactive, are just sort of gonna hard counter some decks. Um, there are a lot of decks that are like trying to play mid range and sort of skimping on interactive tools to go over the top of like, you know, other stacks decks, other uh, other mid range decks, other stuff that isn't like immediately trying to kill them on turn two. Which you're just sort of gonna be soft to stuff that's gonna kill you on turn two. Um, just have to like sort of be like that. Um. 
the uh, next category here is stuff like resilient proactive commanders. Um, so stuff like uh, Winota is in here. Uh, I would I would put Goto in here. Um, I would like sort of put Najila in here, but like not quite just because it's five color. It can sort of do a lot of different stuff. Uh, but these are like sort of the commanders where they're not going to kill you on turn two, but they are going to be very proactive and if you're not equipped to deal with them in the way that they're being proactive they're they're gonna get you dead um pretty easily um i feel like they're also more in this category that i'm not like registering but i don't know i think these are pretty good examples like winota has definitely been like a reese like recently the strongest yeah and uh, most prevalent so yeah Uh, definitely uh definitely in the matchup of timna triggers versus winota triggers uh one of those is better than the other. Yeah. <laughs> On average. <laughs> On average. <laughs> yeah, I <know. laughs> I'm not uh is there even is there even a way that you could stack a Winota deck to like miss triggers continuously, or like are you guaranteed to hit at some point without shuffles? I mean I if like you just don't play hit. humans you miss. I know. But, <laughs> okay, like, yeah, yeah. But like in I mean in, sure, like, you you could have you could have deck. like all of them clustered together so you know, if you have if you have say eighteen humans in the deck, only three of your like eight, of your I don't know thirteen sets of six cards actually have yeah. hits in them. But obviously, yeah, yeah. that's extraordinarily unlikely. Just never happening. Um, and then the the last category that we have written down here is uh, I guess I guess it's like broader and is sort of like more nebulous than the rest of them. Which are decks that, like, just have an incredible amount of inevitability, um, where just, like, if you leave them alone for long enough, they're just, like, without even really taking into account much of what's in the deck, they're just sort of gonna kill you at some point. Um, which I think, like, probably the poster child for this in meta CDH is Kenrith, where, like, if you just let a Kenrith sit and play with some amount of mana for some amount of time, you're just gonna die to it, um... It's either going to, like, pump the board large enough that, like, you're just dead in combat. It's going to draw some cards and do stuff. Or it's just going to, like, recur hate bears and, like, meaningful creatures forever until you can just, like, never deal with them. And then it'll just, like, murder you in combat or, again, through the aforementioned drawing cards. Um, another one that I think Morgan came up with uh, was Kinnon here, which is also sort of a thing where, like, you just... If you have some number of fat hits in a kitten deck and you leave a kitten alone to just like spin kitten a bunch of times, like you're eventually you're gonna die to like avoid widower or like some other like large reanimation target <laughs> and, and as a hall gonna, or like, whatever. Yes, yeah, yeah. they're just gonna like stack into each other. Uh, also, kitten is just like constantly it. getting landed because it costs two mana. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And it also helps you dump the rest of the the mana in your hand once you get it down. <laughs> um. And then obviously like, there's some we gotta have some meme rep in here. Muldrotha and Yorian are great uh great examples of <laughs> yeah. this as well. Um if you leave a Muldrotha deck or a Yorian deck to just sort of do its thing for long enough, you're just gonna die. Um it's like not even like really a, like an option. It's just sort of more a question of like how long is it gonna take you for to get to a point where like you're just sort of dead on board continuously. Um Yeah, I feel like <laughs> I've had of the Muldrotha games I've played in the last few months or of the ones I've won, some of them it's like, oh, I set up a kitten combo, and then half of them it's like, yeah, so I'm gonna play Pernicious Deed every turn, and everyone goes, 
yeah all right you got it <laughs> cool cool beans cool beans um i guess yisan also fits in this category um yeah for sure oh, i i, I uh, guess just like a lot of i don't know about that in the command zone no <laughs> you just don't think yisan wins the game <laughs> yisan wins the game unless some of its core pieces have been dealt with it which is pretty easy <laughs> Uh, yeah, well, it's fair. like it's a it's a know. little harder now because of uh, like Ashaya actually turns off a lot of the good interaction. That and, is true, actually. And people mm. are like getting wise to getting out. You know, you find your shepherd or your uh, or your safekeeper to make it much more difficult. Uh, yeah, but like like obviously, t- to be clear, nothing in this category we're saying like can't have a solution. Oh yes, right. But like, like cer- certainly, uh, you know, you can deal with Kenrith decks. Like, you cool. You guild a Drake to Kenrith. All right. Well, I guess that you know solves that inevitability issue, and you can deal with Yasan. Um, but you know, this is something where you have to be aware of that threat and plan your game accordingly. Does it explain why these are counters a bit more? Um, it would be that they're typically the engines that they're running under don't like they don't pick up a whole lot of threat in the earlier periods of the game to the point where like they might be interactive with like once maybe or like maybe twice um before like turn six um but usually what's happening is this like this slow build of like i'm just gonna put this thing in play and then the rest of the table will usually believe that they can race it in some like manner and then at some point it becomes like obvious that oh we can't raise it and also we've been interacting with each other and now we're just dead to this thing right um which also which is, is sort of like interesting always propose to end the game in a draw <laughs> <laughs> and moving on um so actually i think morgan you added this uh, next one as well yeah so the last the last category is uh i called it low committal pressure um to an extent, Kenrith could could fall into this category where sometimes you just put Kenrith into play and you put a couple counters on him and then you start punching people. Um, but I was thinking things like uh, Krom or Rafine, where like the decks are still going to have very much defined win cons, but they have some element to them that just lets them relatively easily put pressure on you without having to commit those like win cons to the board and expose them to being dealt with. Um, and just, yeah, like, this is typically going to be combat damage, but there are a couple other, you know, axes you could have something operate on, like uh, a Tevesh. You know, you just put out the Tevesh, and if you can't stop it from from ulting, then you're going to, you know, ev- likely eventually lose to that. Um, so just anything where the commander uh, kind of presents a secondary game plan on by itself. To, like, a lesser extent, I guess Bruce kind of fits in there. But I feel like they're, it's rarely Bruce's combat damage that ever gets <laughs> gets the game done. <laughs> that, that is true. Matt, how much have you played Sarah sent into your Bruce decks? Just a question. Uh, Very briefly. Very briefly? Okay. <laughs> Just because, yeah, yeah, it's a fun one. That's a good combo. Maybe, uh, God. Never mind. I'm I'm getting too into the weeds in my own head here. I'm like, wait, can you put a can you put a Wingcrafter in Thrasbrews? That sounds terrible. Please don't do that. <laughs> anyway, ig- ignore my uh, my intrusive so, thoughts. <laughs> just just cue up the the Jurassic Park quote. 
Oh god, you know. <laughs> just uh they were so busy wondering if they could, yeah. but they never stopped <laughs> to ask if they should. Um yeah. Um, yeah, so I think, like, that's that's probably a pretty good, like, overview of, like, the ways that commanders can be hard counters. Obviously, like, there's also, holy shit, voice crack. Um, obviously there can be, like, ways that, like, aren't entirely encapsulated in here. There's probably a bit of bleed in, like, categories. Don't take these categories as, like, the, like, actual, like, strict categories that all these fall into. Um, it's just sort of, like, you know, a nice, like, thought model about, like, how you might want to model like what you're losing to out of the command zone if you're losing to like something out of the command zone consistently um but aside from that um we have uh the next sub category here aside from commanders which is uh interactive mashups or interaction matchups rather not interactive matchups um so like interactive interaction matchups meaning um that just the way that um stack interaction for the most part uh like or rather like Interaction that goes onto the stack and has an action on the stack, so instance and sorceries interaction, uh, and how those line up against uh, other decks, basically. Um, I think uh, Matt and Morgan, you both had some uh, good points here that you probably wanted to get through. Sure. So I guess the the first one that um, can sort of happen is, or at least the first one that I had, was um, decks that present a lot of creature threats versus decks that are typically focused their interactions focused on uh countering turbo decks so uh you know sometimes you'll be in a matchup where they just keep casting creatures that you need to deal with and you're looking at you know your dispels and your fluster storms and you've got your fierce guardianship and you're going like none none of this is helpful <laughs> um yeah the other like the other one the i worst feeling by the way, yeah, like, the, just like the worst feeling like uh, ever is when you have like a handful of interaction that just does not deal with the thing that's on the stack. And the thing that's on the stack isn't even special in terms of like not being able to be countered. It's just like, wow, these types just don't line up. Yeah, I feel yeah. like the worst, uh, the it's not necessarily in this category, but like when your hand is just full of counter magic and your opponents have neatly made all of their things either not counterable in some way, and it's like... Yeah, you feel so clever to have like you know just a generic answer to everything in the form of force of will, and it's like wow, it's useless. Yep. Um, another another one here in this category would be um, board wipes versus heavily board centric decks. Um, you know, it it can just be a really <laughs> a really fine line to walk. Uh, where you, if your strategy relies on playing to the board you feel obligated to you know do that and develop stuff but if you develop too much then you just get blown out um and so you know that uh makes it very difficult to to balance those two against each other yeah definitely um well said like this sort of the inverse of the creature threats versus anti-turbo interaction which is a uh, turbo versus removal um also a pretty bad feeling of a. Uh, you know, just like a turbo deck casting it ad nauseum, and your hand is like, well, I have this Psychrift, and I have this Assassin's Trophy, and I have this Red Blast, and these are all really good at removing problematic permanents, but not very good at, like, countering it ad nauseum on the stack. Um, so, so there's, like, the opposite one there. Um, and then also just uh, having, like, a large amount of counter magic versus uh, linear decks that are lean on interaction. Um, so, like, turbo decks, but also 
um like a lot of uh a lot of like commander centric faster decks can also have trouble with this just because like when you get up to really high amounts of counter magic and stuff like curious control or just like three color control decks teamer control decks you typically end up running up to stuff like uh Drown of the Lock, Mana Drain, uh, like, actual hard counters, which, like, those decks actually start having a hard time with. Like, I'm going to try to resolve my Vanifar, and then the blue control deck is just holding up, like, a Mana Drain, and it's like, yeah, you just can't get past that one. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Matt? Sure. Yeah. Uh, we can just pop into the next category, I guess. Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah, Um, so our next one, um, is basically win-con versus hate matchups. So, when, um... You know, you or your opponent has very carefully decided on this resilient win condition, but it happens that uh, your opponent has uh, exactly what they need to hate it. <laughs> <laughs> or, or the opposite, exactly. where you have a pretty broad spectrum of hate, but your opponent has exactly the win gone that you know you you can't really escapes hit. it. <laughs> yeah. So I think, yeah, the first the first one in this category, and this is something we've talked about a few times, particularly in the context of Winota is um creature combo win cons versus win conless decks i understand that winota is not always a win conless deck it can play kiki combos but but typically it's not focused around them it's just trying to get a big board and hit you um and it can't play any interaction that stops people from cheating creatures into play so things like uh pod combos or yisan or vanifar are like really really difficult for that deck to deal with um and yeah. they will end the game faster than beats will. Um, and you, you know, you just can't really play the tools to stop them because they shut off your own plan. Yeah, like, to be, uh, I think, uh, or, like, as as an illustrative example, um, I was playing in the, uh, oh, I should have looked up the name of the tournament before I went to make this reference. <laughs> uh, Box Masters. There you go. <laughs> the, uh, <laughs> there you go. The playing with the uh, relatively recent play, playing with power tournament. Um, I was playing in a pod where I had a uh, I had a Yisan in play um, against a pod of two blue farm decks and a Winota deck. Uh, and the Winota deck was uh like online had a Winota in play had like two attackers and was just like cool. Um. I don't think there's anything I can hit off Winota that stops us dying here, <laughs> like, in, in any of these swings. And uh, they went through their deck after the game, and it was like, yeah, exactly this Aiden Mind Sensor would have stopped us from dying, and there was not another card in here that would have stopped us aside from, like, me killing you in combat damage. And I was at, like, 38 health or whatever, so 38 life. So, uh, yeah, definitely there. These these matchups are probably more common than you think they are. <laughs> The one thing you needed to hit in your Winota deck was a non-human. Yeah. Oh, right. Sorry. Yeah, they couldn't even hit. It. They just found it. Yeah. It was literally. It was. It was you, the. Uh, it was. It was actually what it ended up being was the recruiter of the guard into it. Yeah, or like, like the gamble yeah. or something. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, yeah. That makes it definitely a lot tougher. Uh, but yeah, so I think there is some. Uh, Matt, did you put a point down for this one? I feel like you did. Uh yeah, put down um creature versus non-creature. Um I think this would kind kind of go a little bit both ways. So like on the hand for like non-creature, uh if you aren't playing enough to the board, like you can get run over in like a lot of scenarios uh where your opponents just have like these I guess it kind of fits into the, like the low committal pressure 
uh, category, but then on the other hand, um, when non-creature is like um, the hate, so I, I brought up Kess, like, and you're generating most of your advantage through creatures, then it's, yeah. Right. Definitely uphill. Yeah, makes sense. Um, and then we also have some other, like, uh, some other, like, opposition here, which is, like, first of all, like, Turbo Ruvla versus Turbo Nas. Oh my god, is that a bad matchup? <laughs> if you're if you're playing a deck that's just looking to like crypt out a rule of law in turn one or like a deafening silence or something, that gets real bad real fast um for Turbinaz decks of most kinds. Um and then also uh yeah, the classic oof versus rock decks. Um which is actually I feel like that one's that one's probably it's weird. It it feels like that specific uh counter is viewed to be probably softer than it actually is because people evaluate it based on matchups that don't actually represent the counter if that makes sense um where like uh i i think people probably evaluate oof versus rocks on the axis of oof versus like blue farm or like high color decks that like play rocks and dockside as part of their mana acceleration suite um, which I feel like isn't actually what the oof counters. Like, I, I feel like the oof counters, like, the artifact-reliant decks with, like, like, you know, you're playing, like, artifact win-cons, you're playing, like, artifacts with, like, utility-activated abilities, not just, like, fast mana and signets. I don't yeah, know, I feel like I mean, my, I, think... I feel like my, uh, when I heavily invest into art, into rocks specifically, my outlet's gonna be, like, <laughs> Thrasios or something. Right. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I think, I think like, this is, <laughs> it's a little bit a symptom of, um, of the subtle effects of, of Thassa's Oracle, where, <laughs> right. like, it's, it's an unfortunately easy pivot for a lot of these decks to just be like, cool, well, I have, you know, tutors, so even though I don't have much mana, I can still just assemble this super cheap two-card wincon, um, which, which definitely makes artifact- or I guess what it does is it makes rock decks less dependent on artifacts, which makes the hate for them just feel less effective against the artifacts than it actually yeah. is. Uh, even though it's extremely effective against, like, particular. I mean, it's it's very unfortunate because particularly against lower color artifact centric decks, it can be just absolutely backbreaking. Oh yeah, and so against like, the, and against the, the higher color ones, it's not nearly as effective and yeah. it's uh, a bit a bit unfortunate in that the hate is the hate is good against the worst decks yeah it's actually interesting because as well like the uh you can actually see the opposite effect that oof has on a deck from blue farm which i would say is team or malcolm where it doesn't affect the game plan so much but it does affect the win con and like oh my lord does oof make that deck awkward to play if you don't have like the out immediately or if you don't have like access to like the niv or something um because like suddenly you're playing two commanders that don't do anything and then your core win con is also turned off um so yeah i feel like if if win con still got hit by oof or if good win con still got hit by oof it would probably be a lot better but anyway um cool uh so that was 
uh, are basically subcategory on like the ways that you actually end up with counters decks. Obviously, not an exhaustive list, but uh, I feel like this is probably a a good starting point, or at least like a good um, core for sort of evaluating how you might be losing uh what like before the game even starts <laughs> to certain decks um but we are now getting into the actual dealing with those problems not just identifying them um so this is the just like you know picking your plan versus these decks and like sort of before the game even starts having an idea of how you need to play the game in order to maximize your chances against a deck that might be like countering yours or you might have a typically hard time with um so I think, like, the first thing that you really, really, really need to do is, like, actually, again, look at the category that we just went through and, like, consider what axis the counter is actually affecting you on. Um, so, like, is it the commanders that are the issue? Is it a specific subset of the cards in the deck that are an issue? Or does the core game plan of the deck uh, just affect you too much? Do you have to, like, try to get under it? All that kind of stuff. And, like take all of that all of that super heavily into consideration before um, asking the questions that we're about to get into. Um, so, Matt, do you want to do the first one here? Sure. So the first question is, uh, do I need to get under them? So I feel like that kind of relates a little bit to like the inevitable category. So if you feel like you're playing against a commander who's, or, you know, presents kind of inevitability, like, do you need to go faster than them? Um, and I guess the same also applies to Turbo in some sense, right? Like, do you need to be faster than them? Yeah, or even um, if you're playing as, like, a faster deck, like, even if you're not playing Turbo, uh, but you're playing, like, a deck that has access to, like, faster wins, um, like, maybe you need to try to get under the stacks deck that's countering you. Like, if you're playing against, like, a Turbo Rules Law deck, um, it could be, I'm not saying that it is, but like, it could be that your best answer to that is just to try to get under them and just try to kill them or like get an overwhelming advantage before they can get the thing in play that stops you. Yeah. As long as that's an option, you know, and, uh, this isn't the only question that we're going to have you ask yourself in this particular scenario. <laughs> yep. <laughs> exactly. Uh oh! I just realized we should have uh we should have framed this as a self help guide. Oh well, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna done a whole running bit through the episode. Man, we need to do we. I feel like we need to do more like high concept episodes. <laughs> <laughs> is that is that the problem with our podcast? Oh no no no! It's not a problem. I'm just saying we should do more of it because then we yeah. would lose even more listeners, but we'd have an even more dedicated core listener base. <laughs> high context. Uh, low context high concept <laughs> yeah exactly uh morgan do you want to grab this next point sure so, so the next one is sort of the opposite uh do you need to worry about them getting under you um can you get to whatever uh whatever solution you have for them assuming this is more of like a they're a proactive deck and you're trying to stop them match up uh whatever solution you have to them can you actually access it in time um you know if you're only going to be landing your uh, your rule of law on turn three, uh, that, you know, very well might not be enough to stop something like a turbo deck. Um, and particularly with decks that tend to snowball super hard, um, it can be really important to have the answer early. So, you know, with something like, a, I mean, you know, we keep picking on Winota, where 
uh, if you can counter that first cast of Winota or kill it before they get to go to combat, uh, then they're just set back super, super far. Or uh, another example might be something like a Tivit, where uh, if you can get some sort of hate into play before they land the Tivit, um, then, you know, that that deck is just going to have a much harder time actually getting its engines going and doing anything meaningful. Uh, whereas if you let them resolve the Tivit, even if you play Artifact Hate, which ostensibly shuts off everything Tivit is doing, they're just actually going to beat you to death and assemble. <laughs> they'll assemble like a thousand treasures and a thousand clues, and if they ever find the removal for it, they just immediately go off. So uh, yeah, they're they're know, it going be, to it do be important to six, get ahead six of them. flying ward six thing. <laughs> yes, wait, ward three? It's ward three, right? It's ward three. It's, okay, uh, yeah. yeah, but it, it might, might as well be well six. Be ward six, yeah. <laughs> Three yeah. is basically six in the context of CEDH, at least in the context of Ward. Maybe not in in every yeah. context, <laughs> in every scenario. Um, uh, and then sort of like to cap off this, like this, like sort of like mini group of questions is: uh, Do you need to go over your opponent? Um, this is basically like if you think that your opponent isn't actually going to, or you know, you're not going to get be having troubles earlier in the game uh you can either interact or you know the pod can interact with them etc um so instead of trying to go under them or have a specific answer do you just need to try to get over them um so this would be typically what you would be looking for in um like a mid-range versus a stacks matchup a lot of the time if like maybe your win cons aren't quite resilient enough to get resilient enough to get through uh, the Zax player stacks uh, or it just doesn't line up particularly well, or, I don't know, you just, like, don't feel comfortable going for uh, wins early. Uh, this can sort of represent, like, sort of the strategy that you would take into those matchups, where you're, instead of trying to go for a win earlier or win through them, you have to, like, try to build up an advantage over top of that stack stack, or maybe it's another mid-range deck, etc., um, where you're trying to build up an overwhelming advantage over a period of time uh, to get to a point where you're basically dominating the game where you can then go for a win. And here I thought we'd be talking about flying. <laughs> I mean, hey, flying does... Dude, Wingcrafter goes over mid-range decks. That's, that's <laughs> all I'm saying. It does that in multiple ways. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah, cool. Um, so uh, aside from just, you know, in terms of uh those questions of like generally like what your um strategy is going to be on a higher level um there are a couple of like lower level questions that you can probably ask yourself um uh one of the ones that uh i wrote down here that i see we also have some subtopics for is uh looking do i need to like look for specific cards to mitigate the counter um maybe it's a pretty bad matchup uh that you're playing against unless you have one of your silver bullets um so this could be something like again Playing against, like, an artifact-heavy, like, board-wipe-centric deck as, again, we're going to frame this in, like, mid-range, because that's what me and Morgan have been playing a lot recently, but you, you can apply this to a lot of different scenarios. Um, but, like, maybe you're playing against, like, some artifact-based, uh, like, board-wipe deck, uh, but you have, like, a Null Rod in your deck. And, like, you're playing a bunch of these dorks and, like, other interactive pieces that don't really, like, do a whole lot against just getting board-wiped and people playing rocks. But when you get the Null Rod in play, suddenly it becomes, like, a much better matchup because they don't have, like, good removal for the Null Rod. It shuts off all their mana. Uh, they don't have, like, board, the board wipes don't affect the Null Rod, so they're sort of blocked under it. Um, like, that that kind of thing. Yeah. Uh, Matt, I think you had stuff to talk about here as well. Um, 
Yeah, okay. Um, I've, okay. First, I'm going to build off your point which, and kind of bleed into the next subject a bit, which is, um, you know, maybe in that particular scenario you mentioned, like, keeping a handful of dorks is not the right idea, and you can actually kind of think of those as dead cards and, you know, aggressively mulliganing for uh, whatever it is the null rod is going to be your play. Um, kind of, I guess, picking your plan out of the gate, but we'll get more into that. Uh, right. So the other, the kind of inverse point is, like, um, if you were playing like a stacks heavy deck, like are there lock pieces that would actually result in a bad scenario? Um, and that's, I mean, that could be for a multitude of reasons. Like for one, like you could be playing a you know a lock piece that doesn't affect a deck that would you know typically is your counter, um, but affects your other opponents. In which case, like you don't really have a plan going forward. Like you can't really be political with the people who are also getting countered. Um, yeah, that's kind of the point. Yeah, totally. Um, you'll you'll see this a lot of the time in like uh, there'll be like, um, like hard stack decks uh that are or like rather than like hard stack decks, like specifically um you'll see like turbo rule of law decks uh that sometimes will um be in a pod with like multiple decks that are trying to like sort of go over or like have a, like a good value case and then like one turbo deck and a lot of the time in those matchups you'll actually see um the decks just like completely avoid like actually going for a rule of law and just sort of like leaning on the rest of the table to have blue interaction and then like trying to play for pieces that instead like affect the decks that are trying to go over them without hampering their ability to interact yeah, speaking of playing against rule of law, turbo rule of law, um, you should probably evaluate your ability to get out enchantment removal. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that too. <laughs> uh, cool. Um, and then we've, we have a, another category here uh, as well that I know actually, I, I didn't like write this in anywhere, um, but it is actually something that I've noticed is that, Morgan, you're actually probably one of the best players that I know at, like, playing for this, like, strategy or this plan or this, like, win condition in a lot of matchups where, like, you could be, like, very disciplined about just sort of not going for specific strategies uh, in certain games at all and just, like, sort of completely eschewing them um, for another, like, totally different strategy that might not even be the primary one that you'd usually go for. <laughs> I, maybe i don't know i feel like sometimes i'm uh not flexible enough like i abandon plans too quickly but, <laughs> just uh, chew through them sure like definitely in playing rafine there have been a bunch of games where i've been like yeah i'm just not trying to reanimate anything and then i've after the fact been like so i definitely could have reanimated things <laughs> but uh yeah that is that is definitely one of them which is uh being careful when there are multiple reanimator decks in the pod uh, just kind of randomly binning something to reanimate can definitely be a liability, and that's one that uh, I've definitely done in terms of I've put something in my graveyard that somebody else reanimated, and I've also taken advantage of and reanimated somebody else's uh, wind yep. guns out of the bin, so uh, definitely something to be mindful of. Yeah, a very specific um, um, practical example I have of that is uh, don't block Gilded Drakes when uh, your opponents very clearly have reanimates. <laughs> Because <laughs> yeah, they'll probably time. they'll probably gilded drake the thing that or, that blocked the gilded drake. 
or just uh, honestly just suspicious gilded drink attacks period yeah <laughs> just like yeah you know, if, uh, if they're obviously like throwing it into the void then you probably need to ask why they're doing that <laughs> i uh um, i fell for that in the tournament where <laughs> reed and i more or less officially met and led to the the podcast um, wow. because i thought i thought they forgot that uh the anime dead made their Gilda Drake right, smaller. smaller. And then I was like, nice, free Gilda Drake kill. And then they reanimated it, and I was very sad. Uh, good old Jinpong. <laughs> good old Jinpong. Uh, but also, you know, as we, as we mentioned uh, when talking about Jessica and also when talking about rats, another thing to be mindful of is just not overextending into, uh, into rats, um, making sure that yeah. you're hold not you know holding back some uh some of your resources um it can be it's you know a difficult line to walk but one that is uh is important if you don't want to you know get yourself six for one yeah definitely and this is actually i this is actually something that i could probably stand to get better at um just in in general just sandbagging stuff that like there is like pretty obviously going to be repeatable removal for or like mass removal for um over the course of the game and just like just holding on to it for a couple of turn cycles until that you know that like you can actually stick something although i did have a pretty legendary game where i sandbagged for like five turns around the potential of an opponent having an elishnorn until i could get my own elishnorn and develop stuff but <laughs> anyway <laughs> uh yeah and then uh yeah i mean obviously um just like avoiding playing into onboard hate um so this is just stuff like you know if there's if there is a jessica in the command zone um you're gonna have to mulligan for not creature stuff or like you know that you're getting into a, a game with like wrath heavy pods uh it's not just not overextending your board it's potentially in mulligans like looking for um stuff to do that is not affected by what you think you're going to be hit by over the course of a game especially like this also applies in the other direction where if you if you're playing uh like blue farm and you know for a fact that the table is going to have oofs as their like primary form of interaction with you that's not on the stack um it's typically a pretty good idea to like go for hands that like get a quick like get a quick crom down get like a uh get a rhystic study down uh don't rely too much on like having uh artifact mana over multiple turns to do stuff and like maybe just like looking for hands instead that abuse uh fast like non-artifact mana to go do powerful things or even uh, even just like you can play hands that abuse uh abuse artifact mana but like you might just want to do it and uh you know use especially when you have non-recurrent sources just use them for value early like um right you know if you're not expecting a lot of artifact hate you might think tapping a mana vault to cast a rhystic study you know is is like not a good a good use of that um but if you are expecting you know there's a couple oof decks at the table it might make sense to just you know commit that to the board so then even if the oof comes you know, you actually, you have something going for you rather than having developed this mana vault and then not even gotten a chance to use it. Right. Uh, cool. So, uh, speaking of mulligans, uh, ignore that I mentioned it, like, more than a minute ago. Um, 
there are some uh, pretty valuable ways uh, that you can actually affect or like change your mulligans uh, to affect these matchups a lot. Um, the the core point here, I think this is Matt's point, uh, is just really like prioritizing secondary plans, uh, figuring out why your like primary plan doesn't work, and then figuring out like what secondary plan for your deck uh, can actually like give you better results um, out of a game, and then looking for those types of things in mulligans. Um, Matt, did you have like yeah. uh, specific examples that you wanted to go through here? Um, well, yeah, we do have a list of kind of pretty typical secondary plans. Um, and I can just start it off. So, I mean, this yeah. one is like a plan I hold near and dear to heart. Some, some people might even think that this is my primary plan, but uh, value engines. So <laughs> <laughs> getting ahead um, in ways that, you know, are resilient, getting ahead in ways that like, you know, benefit your primary game plan, um, but also, you know, do that kind of really important job of like getting you through your deck um, and potentially um, you know, getting you a specific card or, um, you know, a specific hate piece or, um, you know, maybe they help you get over. Um, so yeah, that's kind of value engines. Right. Um, I think the next one here that we have is, uh, hate pieces. So again, like we were talking about, um, silver bullet hate pieces for a specific, uh, for specific pod compositions or if you need to like really handle a specific deck uh because you're weak to it and you like you don't think you have a good chance of winning the game if they go uh about the game unmolested and like just can sort of have free reign of their own game plan um definitely like you know while well, getting to uh silver bullet hate pieces or just like hate pieces in general that you have in your deck for this specific reason uh can be super super impactful yeah i've, I've definitely uh solved a few matchups by uh by mulliganing for a way to get a Dranith magistrate into play yeah <laughs> uh, that's that's a big one when like you look at the commanders and you just go like i don't want to deal with all of this and then you just find a way to uh to get uh the Dranith out and then you don't have to you don't have to worry as much about it um but obviously yeah. you know this could be e even things like um like looking for a hand if you're playing more of a turbo deck you know looking for a hand that uh maybe has like an opposition agent or like a douthy or just something that'll sort of disrupt your opponents until you can find you know your window yeah and definitely be, especially uh, like stuff like douthy where you can like sort of develop it as a hate piece and that it also just sort of accrues value over the course of a game um can be pretty valuable um for the situations uh, yeah, Morgan. You got next, though? Sure. Uh, the next one is uh, interaction. So this is, um, you know, even if your deck isn't necessarily um, intending to play a, a super interactive game plan, um, sometimes it makes sense to mulligan for whatever interaction you have if you think that there's a deck that, like, very predictably is going for, you know, something super... Uh, powerful early like the most obvious one would be uh if you don't really have good hate for it um getting some interaction when you see like a cody in the pod right like i'm mm -hmm. okay i either need like a good counter spell like a fluster storm or something or just a way to remove a cody um and then that'll buy me the time to you know get my engines online or develop my commanders or whatever it is you're trying to do after that um rather than, you know, just dying to it on turn 
two or turn three. Yeah, totally. Um, there's also like yeah, tuning tuning interaction is like super important as well here. Like um, uh, a lot of the time, like looking for specific breakpoints in your in your interaction suite as well, and specific matchups in terms of like uh like what's the mana requirements for this uh can i afford to like keep a hand with like a fierce guardianship versus like uh one mana counterspell that i need to hold up for the entire game like is it more valuable that i have a counterspell on like turn one potentially or have a counterspell for free after i develop my uh commander on like turn two um so like really considering like the actual like requirements for the interaction that you're mulliganing for rather than just like thinking okay i need interaction so i'm gonna find like one of this class of counter magic or removal or whatever um to like fill that role uh and then yeah matt yeah i think the last one here is um i feel like i don't necessarily know how to like describe like the compromise you're making here because um, so the point is win conditions, and it's kind of funny to think that, like, you're shaping your mulligan to prioritize a secondary plan, which ultimately is how you win, right? Like, maybe your deck, I mean, it's kind of weird to say that, like, your deck wouldn't just be outright, like, trying to win the game as its primary plan, but maybe, <laughs> yeah, like, but, um, you know. yeah, but maybe, I don't know, you're playing, like, stacks, and, like, really, you're, you're, the viability of winning typically is because you've locked the board out, um, where now, like, your secondary game plan is... I have to somehow become a fast deck. Uh, and I guess that means, like, uh, well, first off, straight up outright um, keeping your combo pieces, um, or maybe prioritize, prioritizing fast mana when that isn't typically, like, or, or, well, prioritizing, like, you know, a lot of fast mana when that isn't typically how your deck wins. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, yeah, yeah, and definitely, like, I think this is one that people maybe under uh undervalue where um like particularly you know there are certain decks that have established play patterns that people are expecting you know they see Thrasios Timna they're often expecting like turn 1 land dork turn 2 land and your one of your commanders either the Timna to start drawing cards with the swing or like Thrasios if you think you have to hold open mana but like you know, sometimes you just have a hand, you know, where you go like, cool, turn one land dork, turn two land neoform my dork consult, cool, like, gotcha. Um, and if people, you know, people can, you, it's a double whammy because not only are people not holding interaction for you expecting you to win, they're not holding interaction because they're expecting you to be the one holding interaction for the really proactive decks. Yeah, exactly. So they're like double likely to not have the interaction. Um, this is also, like, you know, just applicable in, like, honestly, like, anything that isn't just, like, Turbo. Um, just, like, a ton of decks out there just, like, don't super prioritize, uh, the win cons and mulligans. And, like, it's, it's such a level up in, like, power of, like, tuning your mulligans to matchups to realize that, like, a lot of the time, like, I, I feel like typically, like, there's, there's sort of, like, this, like, skill curve of, like, initially like you first get into the format just learning you're like okay right so i just mulligans to the thing that wouldn't to the things that wouldn't be the game right yes and then like the mid hump is like oh, okay like i i don't i don't really need to keep like in my interactive deck i don't really need to keep like wind guns in my hand i can just sort of like do the interactive thing that eventually win the game and then like the the top level 
like like thin line is like oh right like a lot of the time i do actually just have to mulligan to win gods and just try to force through a win early um instead of trying to do like the interactive thing uh cool yeah. um so uh that was honestly uh most of uh what we had for mulligans here um and then i think we're gonna hop into our uh last uh core topic here which is uh just paul taking your way out of it five head three <laughs> well, head, so would say, but before head. before we get into politics i would sure. say um you know we we focused on mulligans but obviously like the mulligans are are only part of it and you do sort of need to like follow through on whatever the the plan you've established is and you know that could also mean um for example if you keep an opener with a tutor in it like if you don't think that going for a super fast win is viable um you think there's going to be a lot of interaction like maybe you're tutoring a value engine or a hate piece or whatever um so you know just maybe stating the obvious a little bit but uh the mulligans are how you start yourself on, you know, the given track to to counteract the bad matchup, but you actually have to play along that track too. Yeah. And potentially, honestly, adapt the track during the game, depending on, like, what ends up actually, like, happening, because, again, we're playing CDH, there's a lot of weird stuff that can happen in a game that, like, will not go to any, like, given plan that you're coming into a matchup with. Um, decks have a lot of different cards in them, and those cards interact in strange and wonderful ways. And that's why you just ignore all of that and you always tutor for your value engines, you know? There you go. <laughs> you can never go wrong with Rhystic Study. <laughs> could, good old Rhystic Study always wins. <laughs> you always tutor for trading routes every game. <laughs> 70% I mean, of the time, it works every time. Honestly, if you had, had if you had said Zerda instead of training grounds, like, maybe that is actually just correct because you just, like, half of a win con plus a value engine. Yeah. <laughs> Zerda is, like, actually tutorable and ex an excusable yeah. tutor early. <laughs> yeah. Um, but, yeah, so let's get into, of course, my favorite uh, uh, part of this episode, um, which is just Paul taking your way out of it. Um, <laughs> Realistically, a lot of the time, uh, bad matchups get a lot less bad uh, when you can identify ways to make the rest of the table, um, no, well, not make the rest of the table uh, play, but like influence the rest of the table to play in ways that make it less bad for you, um, which includes, you know, like obviously directly affecting the play pattern of the deck that is countering you, but also affecting the play pattern, the play pattern of like other people in the pod in order to actually like help you in some ways that like also help them uh against the deck that counters you um so like the first thing really uh to like figure out here um when you're looking at like paul taking your way out of a bad situation or out of like being like hard countered from turn one is honestly you just sort of look around the pod and see if anybody else is in the same boat if somebody else is in the same boat of like you're both playing reanimator decks and you're playing against Nana Fence in the command zone. Um, maybe you can have some talks and be like, hey, like we we might be able to like work together on this axis of it to like stop us from just like completely losing the game on the spot once this thing resolves. And then like we we actually play the game after that. Yeah, you know, you could just declare banana bread. <laughs> have we ever have we actually like ever educated our listeners i'm pretty sure at yeah, least yeah, at least so. once it, it's it's out there <laughs> okay cool um uh banana bread of course being um just shorthand for let's 
collude basically <laughs> well not collude, but <laughs> no, it's for for agreeing it's a shorthand for a one turn not attacking each other truce yes generally with the purpose of allowing you both to attack a third player without having the the person take advantage of you not like tapping having attack first yeah um anyway yeah uh so like honestly like just having being in the same predicament is a very very strong bond in a game of cdh for the most part um if you're both very likely to lose to the same thing then there's a very very large incentive there to work together to not die to that thing um and you could definitely take advantage of that in your politics yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, uh, Matt, you want to take the next one? Sure. The next one, um, kind of similar. I don't think we necessarily cross the line, but are there players that counter the player that is countering you? In which case, you know, unless it's redundant, like, you probably want to help them out as well. So, um, honestly, this is probably the stronger play because if, like, compared to, like, two people being countered, right? In this case, it's really just you being countered and, like, you need to create a reason for why, um, you know, this other player can work together with you, but the advantage is, like, that other player is likely a lot more effective at countering, um, your counter. <laughs> right. Yeah, um, I, I would say, yeah. I would say the, other, the other thing you can do is, um, you can try and, uh, you can try and actually convince the person who counters you not to counter you uh based on the the strength or threat of somebody else um this will obviously be like dependent on uh exactly what's you know what's going on but um for example things like playing a blood moon when you know somebody else really needs to be interacted with um sometimes you could say like hey if you play a blood moon you know none of us can do anything about the Yisan player who has forests and has a Yisan, like, you know, I need mana to deal with that. Or, um, particularly for things like draw hate, where it's like, I need to be able to draw cards yeah. to find answers to whatever that threat is. So if you're gonna play, like, a Spirit of the Labyrinth, or you're gonna, you know, wipe my value engines, or, or something like that, um, you know, we're just, we're just gonna lose to somebody else. Um, so you can often try and play like both sides of that either wait for the person with the solution to answer the person who counters you or convince the person who counters you that they actually can't afford to to do whatever it is they do that counters you yeah you can't kill me i'm too valuable alive <laughs> basically <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> uh uh and then uh yeah uh morgan if you want to grab the, the last one there sure uh, so the last one is uh, create disadvantages that affect the counter or advantages that affect the non-counters. So, uh, you know, this is where you, <laughs> you know, you hurt them back um, is, is sort of the most, the most obvious thing um, where if they're playing, you know, a certain, a certain strategy that, that, uh, you know, relies on something that you can hate out um, you can sort of push them away from being effective, you know, with something like a Winota, if you can land a Graph Digger's Cage. Like, even if Rule of Laws are really good against you, you know, Winota's just not going to build the board state of Hate Bears effectively if you can land a Graph Digger's Cage. Or, conversely, uh, you know, you can 
have something the opposite that makes it maybe a little bit easier for people um, that that doesn't affect them as much um, and try and leverage things that way. Yeah, that's actually one of like that. That's probably the one that I use the most in this category um, is like making other people's who are likely to interact with the people that are um, like, quote unquote, countering you um, like making their lives easier. So like removing a stacks fees that like i don't really want around but like i'm almost indifferent to but like they don't really want around and it being around affects their ability to like interact um like maybe removing that one or like you know like i'm a i'm a big mana deck i'm gonna get rid, rid of this rustic study even though like you're probably more affected by it so that you can get like more cards in for a turn and like be a larger threat so that, like, I'm not, like, the one person being focused on here, and that you can actually, like, potentially deal with some of the issues that I have in return. Um, and a lot of this, like, you don't even have to, like, tell the table about this, or, like, talk about the fact that you're doing a lot of this stuff. It's just, you can so just sort of do it, and the incentives that, like, your actions provide a lot of the time uh, will end up aligning with, like, their interests, and by extension, also, like, your interests in terms of, like, you know, actually playing the game. <laughs> if that makes sense. <laughs> I hope it did. Yeah. TLDR, people are your friends and they're your enemies. So, yes. Be careful. So, try to make, so make them sure your to friends. work with them, but also, you know, be careful of them. Yeah. What? No, no, no. It's you work with them and then you backstab them. That's, that's how you do it. <laughs> yeah. See, but that, that, there's we're playing, uh we're playing this game together until we aren't and then you're dead <laughs> see i feel like it's very easy to uh to fall into the trap uh of you know assuming that that you're special and you're different you know just <laughs> like true. like oh yeah i'm planning to backstab them but uh you know Pick how do you know face, they're not gonna backstab, backstab you first <laughs> yeah exactly first. so uh you know just something to be mindful of aware of I would never, I would never, uh, by the way, I would never encourage backstabbing but through lying or through un other underhanded tactics. I'm just saying, like, you know, sometimes the rest of the table outlives their usefulness and they just sort of have to die. <laughs> you get to decide when, they, when they're outlived. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, I'm, I'm the reference point, right? It's when they've outlived their usefulness to me. That's, right, that's where right, I gotta right. go. Um, cool. Uh, that's actually almost basically the end of our uh, main topic here, uh, unless uh, y'all have closing thoughts on it. No, I think we, mm. we covered it pretty well. Cool. Um, so in that case, uh, we are going to move out of our main topic and into everybody's uh, favorite section of the podcast. Gut check! Gut check! Gut check! Nice. <laughs> Uh, so I think today, uh, Morgan, I believe you have a gut check for us. I I do. Uh, wow. So, uh, yeah, we're it's gonna be it's gonna be a little strange uh, adjusting to not having Lyndon always having the gut checks, but right. Uh, so my gut check is: uh, has it already happened? And if it hasn't, how long do you think it will take for? the power level of modern CDH decks to eclipse the ceiling of Flash Hulk. Ooh. That's a good one. Uh, oh. Like, okay. to, to be clear, Flash Hulk as it existed in 
April 2020 when it was banned. So you, they don't get any of the new cards. So, um, so like, like how much better Flash Hulk was comparatively, or like absolute power level? Like, like absolute I, I'm saying, I'm saying, when will the deck, like, when will the card quality and tools of decks, uh, have increased enough since April 2020 that the aggregate of that is more powerful than Flash Hulk? Like, you know, we've we've got some really powerful new cards. We've got our, you know. Beseju and Odawara, we've got, uh, yeah, okay, you know, any like fierce, uh, was fierce, I think fierce was printed slightly after the flash ban, uh, uh and SWAT. I, it, it would have been close. I, I think we had it for a bit and it was terrible, and then I think like a month later, flash got banned, but I could be wrong. Oh, um, yeah. So I, I I guess I have an answer like immediately. <laughs> the, the, okay, the ban Flash was banned at three days after Commander Twenty Twenty was released. Yeah, so okay. I guess technically they do get fears, but uh, they don't get anything <laughs> just barely. Um, so I would say I think, uh, it's like conditional for me in that, including egregious design mistakes, probably only like a year to a year and a half. Um, but if they have learned their lesson for, like, eternal format stuff, which, like, I I guess they have after Modern Horizons 2, um, I, I would probably say, like, at least five years, something like that. Uh, I find it hard to believe that they're going to print, uh, like, another, like, stupid busted win con for CDH, uh, like, anytime super soon which i think would like really be what's required to like push decks past like flash Hulk, um solidly you you don't think we could eclipse flash Hulk just by just like regular card quality uh, i i think like incremental card quality is like probably uh maybe like three years then something like that uh, i find yeah. it hard to think of like to really quantify these in incremental quality boosts like compared to compared to, comparing to like flash talk's most defining factor in my mind which was how it controlled the game and how the game revolved around it specifically right like i don't really think about the accompanying cards in the flash Hulk deck more than i think about the win conditions specifically and as i mentioned how the game revolves around it so right i would have to see like so like no i don't think we've eclipsed it and I'd have to see, like, yeah, something really totally busted in the form of a win condition before I'm, like, really, really sure that we've eclipsed it. Like, otherwise, you know, the deck, w your deck would need to be full of cards that are on the power level of, like, Viseju and Fierce for me to be, like, super confident that without there being a win condition, which, I don't know, that's not going to happen, I don't think. I mean, it'll happen eventually. They keep printing those cards. <laughs> <laughs> yeah well so you're like uh, five plus years mad uh, i mean sure five plus if that's our if that's our cap just so yours is just max <laughs> it's like yeah it'll, it'll take a long time just max years <laughs> yeah so uh, i guess like Morgan? you would say you don't you don't think it is like gonna happen by you know Incrementation in a reasonable time frame, 
you thinking they're going to have to print something crazy. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think I think we're actually getting relatively close. I it's a little bit hard for me to say because I think some of it is uh is legitimately just optimization that has happened post uh Flash Hulk or like you know the cards and decks have changed to fit a new meta. So right. like it's hard to it's a little bit hard to evaluate, you know, like something like Ranger Captain, which wasn't seeing a ton of play pre Flash Band. Like if you look at uh if you look at like Flash Hulk as it existed, if you were to transpose 2020 Flash Hulk into the current meta, you know, you probably wouldn't play negate even if like like even though it is still like legal and you're not just replacing it with like better newer counter spells like offer you can't refuse right um but you know it might just be correct to play like uh spell snare or something in that slot so it's a little bit hard for me to say but i i don't actually think it'll be too long before the uh the increment of of new tools will give us decks that at least could uh you know stand toe to toe with with flash hog so you would say what a year two years i don't know probably around two years okay i feel like the next if they ever do something like similar to commander legends again i feel like it'll be then sure like a, a second commander legends would would do it for well me. okay i mean yeah. we, we got second commander legends but third commander legends. no 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 well, no no no. but full, like like actual no no i mean like a yeah, set yeah. like commander legends sure. in terms of like it has some extremely powerful effects and some new commanders that are like actually good i don't right i don't mean like a set called commander legends sure <laughs> <laughs> i think if they did another round of i mean if they did another another round of two color partners i think like sure there's a pretty good Please chance no. But oh god, that that just they, like immediately does it. Yeah. But yeah, but if I if they did a round of like monocolored partners, I mean, I think I'd find it be I, th I think it'd be surprising if they if that drastically increased um, the power level of decks. I feel like we have new like monocolored partners for basically every archetype that are like great. That's fair. Like, how do you beat Rog? <laughs> Uh, you make Rog, except it also refunds you a mana. <laughs> yeah, okay, well, <laughs> you make you make Rog, but it's two colors. Is, is the actual? Yeah, answer. that's actually yeah, two you color make rog. a red black Rog. Just oh gods, like, yeah, or a red blue Rog. Red blue Rog, so you can play with Timno. <laughs> just be the actual most disgusting decks. You just print. Both. Um. Uh. Cool. Um. So that's our gut check. Uh, again, remember that uh, we do post these gut checks in the Discord, and you can go vote on them and see how everybody else voted and uh, see who you agree with more. So go do that. Also, we you can vote on all historical gut checks as well, or most historical gut checks. So go do that if you haven't already. Um, cool. So that's gut check. Uh, and then we are going to get into our listener question for this episode. Uh, our listener question for this episode is from Wombat. Uh, and the question is, what is the most underrated evergreen keyword in CDH? Um, honestly, I think this actually would have made a great gut check too, but we will discuss it as if it were a listener question, which it is. Um, 
so flying is busted, but it's not underrated, I'd say, right? <laughs> uh, I don't think flying no, is underrated. I, I don't, I don't <laughs> it's definitely good, but... Oh, I think flying's busted <laughs> in CDH. <laughs> I, think, I think it's decent in a lot of formats, slash, like, a, a nice upside, slash something that you have to, like, actually, like... Uh think about and cdh is just like if if you have a big attacker with flying nobody's ever blocking it okay i feel like mine might be a little bit of a cheat um because it's not underrated when people remember it but people forget it and that's ward ah uh, sure yeah yeah words i yeah definitely not underrated but <laughs> probably uh under recognized yeah. maybe is the uh the answer uh maybe is it just like vigilance? I feel like vigilance is really good. Yeah, I think vigilance is pretty good. Like not on one ones, obviously, but like if you have like any amount of a booty on a card and it has vigilance, it just feels like super good in current year. It just okay. can I just make like a, my a problem point here? Like, yeah, I'm not gonna choose a f like between two cards that do something in particular. Like, I'm not gonna choose the three mana one with vigilance versus the two mana one basically all scenarios <laughs> oh sure yeah, yeah. like no but so, 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 so anyway. here's my like i've played for a long time i've played a commander with a, a good sized booty and vigilance and it really it, it, in hullen who is a 2-4 with vigilance it has not felt particularly impactful that's also I, like I a board like, based deck with vigilance though right but like i <laughs> I don't know. I feel like most decks, either they're like big enough to go on the beatdown, in which case they don't need vigilance, or they're not, in which case they also don't need vigilance. Hmm. Like if you're if your stuff yeah. is big enough to attack, you're probably just winning the race. Except in like very specific and not super common scenarios. And if it's not big enough to attack, then vigilance is kind of worthless. Sure. Um. All right, so what would you say? Lifelink? Uh, yeah, I was thinking Lifelink. Lifelink's, Lifelink's good. I actually think um, Trample, like, obviously on, it, it's much more important on things where, like, connecting matters. Yeah. Um, but it can, actually, no, I'm going to say Menace. I think it's actually Menace. Yeah, Menace is good. There are so, so many effects where you're like, oh, I really want to block that. And then you're like, oh, this is incredibly obnoxious, you know? There are lots of decks, I mean, like, I play a lot of Thrasios, right? And it's it's very nice to just have Thrasios and be like, cool, I can just block, like, most things that aren't, like, dedicated to being large. Right. And then someone plays, like, a professional Facebreaker, and I'm like, now I have to throw, <laughs> like, <laughs> I have to throw, like, two dorks and a Thrasios in front of this thing to kill it, or, like, one dork into the meat grinder to block it, or whatever. Like, it just... A lot of CDH is built around like these breakpoints, and Menace just completely throws a wrench into that. Right. Yeah. Okay. Another one that breaks the breakpoints, but um, <laughs> prowess. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to see like an actually like good like like I don't know Dranath on a, as a one one imagine, but with prowess, I think would be so awesome. I mean, all I'm hearing is that you just need to play more Harmonic Prodigy decks. You know what? I like that idea. <laughs> Dude, Harmonic Prodigy and Veyron. They just, uh, those do the, the prowess thing. Wow. I mean, I guess Veyron does, like, way more than prowess, but... Hey, this is why we have gameplay now. 
<laughs> exactly. I can, uh, show off cool. I can show off my prowess deck. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, I think uh, I think probably Lifelink and Metas probably make the most sense in terms of like evergreens. Obviously prowess, but like I don't think anything actually has prowess. Matters, <laughs> like so. if something actually <laughs> I mean, had prowess. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I mean I I've seen the very occasional person get blapped by an Elsha. That's fair. Yeah. Yeah. True. But who plays Elsha anymore, am I right? Anyway. Uh, didn't you say that artifact centric decks were underrated? Wait, I did. I don't yeah, think I thought, so. I think it came no. up. Yeah. No, oh. no, no, no. I said, I said that they get got better by oof. Uh, oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't say they're underrated. I, I guess I meant they're like they're uh, they're not evaluated to be as shit on by oof as they actually are. <laughs> Which is potentially like the exact opposite. Anyway. <laughs> uh, cool. Uh, cool beans. Um, I think that's our episode for today. Um, kind of good stuff in there. Basically, two gut checks, good content, uh, and a nice topic. Yeah. Um, so I think we will uh, about wrap it up there for this episode uh if anybody would like to reach out to us with any uh, questions comments or concerns you can contact us on twitter and into the north pod by our email at into the north podcast at gmail.com or on our discord server which is in the description for this episode uh, an extra special thanks to all of our patrons who help cover the expenses for our show and allow us to work toward improving the quality of the improving the quality of the podcast oh boy if you too would like to become a patron we're at patreon.com slash into the north podcast Another way you can support us is via our TCG Player affiliate link. Anytime you want to purchase something from TCG Player, if you use our affiliate link, which is in the description as well, a portion of your purchase goes towards supporting the podcast. Thank you as always to the band Fox Cadre for our lovely podcast music, and to Nate Slover for our equally lovely podcast logo. Next episode will be out in two weeks. Until then, see ya. Bye. Have a good one.